Hello, everybody. Welcome uh, to church in the interwebs. My name is Scott Schimmel. Uh, good friends with Steve Murray. Maybe you and I have had the chance to meet before. If not, nice to meet you. Uh, can you think of a time in your life when you didn't listen to the voice of reason? You didn't listen to the voice of wisdom? I've got no shortage of those stories, but let me tell you a quick one. Last year, right after the shutdown had happened, and if you can remember, when things shut down a year ago, they really shut down. Remember, we weren't supposed to go outside. We weren't allowed to go to the beach. We weren't, at least in, in kind of my neck of the neighborhood, we weren't allowed to even go out on trails. And with three kids in my house, the idea of staying inside our house for, at that point, was it weeks, was it months, we didn't know, just seemed kind of intolerable, insufferable. So one day, one weekend day, I decided to try to remedy some sort of uh, 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 kind of anxious energy to get out of the house by coming up with this plan with my two little girls. At that point, six-year-old and 11-year-old. So I said, we're going to go on a hike and as they said, well, we can't go on trails. I said, no, no, we're going to go on a kind of a secret hike. And a secret hike in my neighborhood was to go on the, the, the green areas, kind of between streets. And there are these like <laughs> little paths that you can find. And I'd done this before with my son years before. Uh, but we decided to go on that. So we got backpacks, we got snacks, we got water bottles. And we started to make our way kind of quietly at that point, not sure if people would call the cops on us, not sure if they get mad at us. So we're kind of quietly going down these trails, and we'd been going for about an hour, hour and a half, which in little girl land was, uh, was too long. So it was time to go home. And the, the, the way to go home, there's kind of two ways. One was the long way, which would have been 15, 20 minutes, or we could go explore and go down this path. And I think the sign said something like, no trespassing, violators will be prosecuted, something like that, I'm not sure. Uh, but that's what the sign said. And I decided, come on, girls, we're going to go this way. And they both said, that's a bad idea. And I said, I'm your dad. Follow me. So we started going down the trail about a half mile, pretty, uh, pretty long, until we got to this point where the trail stopped and it was completely overgrown, like no chance to get through. And so there we are, now half mile in, further from home, really, because the idea of going back just was, oh man, we got to double, double uh, track. And then I had this bright idea to go home the, the quickest way, kind of as the crow flies, which is straight up this slope embankment and up to the top where there were a series of apartments. And if we could just get up there, then I could just kind of pick my girls up and throw them over the fence. That was at least the idea that I had. And so we started to make our way. And that's when both girls really started to protest. Not going to go that's way too steep. It doesn't make sense. But, you know, at that point, we are Lewis and Clark trying to find the Pacific. And so I'm saying we're going. And I, at that point, kind of uh, uh, essentially pushing both of them up the hill. It was one of those, you, you kind of have to be almost hands and feet climbing up this slope embankment. Not a small slope, but a pretty considerable one. And my youngest, Jane, at that point, six years old, is in the front and Grace is in between us, the 11-year-olds, and I'm kind of, you know, keep going, keep marching forward. We got this, and we're going through bushes and brush, and we're getting scratched legs with shorts on, and, and they're, you know, maybe at the point of some tears at that point, rightfully so from their perspective, but we're moving until, until I hear 
that distinctive sounds of a rattlesnake. And it's right when, as Jane tells me later, she moves branch of a bush and looks down and later, I didn't even see it. I'm maybe five or six feet behind them, blocked from the view, but I could hear it. And you know that sound if you've heard it. She told me later it was completely coiled up with its head up, looking and rattler going after it. She even said that the, it was uh, thicker than my forearm, that big, that kind of a mama, early in the spring, angry snake that we had stumbled onto its home. So what do we do? <laughs> this is not my proudest moment as a dad, but I pick up by the backpack the 11-year-old, leaving the six-year-old <laughs> to fend for herself and just turn and run down the hill, pulling her through bushes as she's crying, as we're all screaming. And I can kind of tell the six-year-old is near us close enough that we're out of danger. It wasn't until maybe five minutes later as we're back on the trail where it just hit me how stupid that was, how foolish that was. And I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine the conversation I would have had to have with my wife had something really gone wrong. <laughs> My pleads for, we don't need to tell mom about this, didn't last long until we got through the front door. So has there been a time, has there been a time in your life where you didn't listen to the voice of reason or wisdom? And the answer I know is, of course, yes. So we're going to uh, talk briefly about two concepts. One is about listening to wisdom and the voice of reason. The other is how we respond to crisis. Because a lot of times our <laughs> refusal to listen to the voice of reason and wisdom is what gets us into the crisis in the first place. And once we find ourselves there, sometimes it's almost too late to have a, a different nature to be able to handle that crisis well. So I'm going to read a, a quick passage of scripture. And this, this particular uh, a part is, is words, direct words from Jesus at the end of a long, it's really the longest recorded speech that we have in the Bible that Jesus gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of the shorthand way that people think about this particular speech. And in this, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus covers like a, like a bunch of scenarios and situations that we all find ourselves in. And he describes the kind of person who would go through crisis moments and stressful, threatening times in a way that's, that's done really, really well. And so I'm going to read this passage. It's really the final words that he has in wrapping up this long speech. Here's what he says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Uh, it, it is like a, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That's what it's like when you listen to my words, to Jesus' words, and put it into practice. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. And they're foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand, which you just wouldn't do. When the rains and floods come and winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the religious teachers that they were used to at the time. So I'm going to pray and invite God to speak to you and to me as we try to unpack what this means for us. God, 
I pray that you would help us to have open hearts, open ears, that we would become people that listen to your teachings and put them into practice so that we could become wise, so that when the storms come, we can handle it. We do not want to be foolish people. We want to be able to handle complexity and threats and crisis and storms well. So would you help us? Would you lead us into that kind of life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in, in life, there's, there's really no possible way to escape the storms that come. And sometimes the storms, quite literally, are storms that come. Winds beating against your house, uh, rains coming and ruining your party. But there are kind of two kinds of storms. They're, they're the unexpected, acute, all of a sudden, kind of crisis moment storms. And then there's the storms that just kind of, as Jesus talks about, the floodwaters rise over time. And we find ourselves in a period of our lives or situation in our lives where it's becoming too much, where it's not tenable, it's not working anymore. There are different kinds of storms. And there's different categories, of, of course, of the types of storms that we experience. There's financial storms, there's relationship storms, there's uh, a kind of crises and storms of our career, there's the times where we get into conflict, there's health storms. Uh, it was a few months ago when we had this kind of floodwaters rising literally in our house. We had a leak in our house. And what we thought was a small leak at this little isolated part underneath the oven, underneath the range in our kitchen, turned out that the water, this insidious water, was getting into different parts of the house over the days or weeks that we didn't know that it was there. And uh, it turned out, as after calling insurance, that it was going to be quite a major construction project. Now, there's a, there's a part in this period, and I'd never really done any insurance claims before. I never really had to. That we were on the phone with this person that had become our Sherpa to insurance, our claims adjuster with State Farm. And there was this one part as we got into the, the kind of the minutia and the, and the vocabulary of what we were qualified for in terms of coverage or not. There's this one, uh, it was like a few days where it looked like, and it seemed like the word that we were getting is that our damage was not covered under insurance. And there was a phone call specifically where the adjuster called and said, yeah, you know, I'm, I made some calls and this is definitely, this is definitely not in the gray area, but, but uh, he's like, my opinion is this isn't going to be covered. And at that point, man, I thought, what are we getting into? Could this be ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 of damage? Like, what, what are we going to do with that kind of damage? <laughs> Spoiler alert, it turned into over $160,000 of damage when all was said and done. It was a lot. But I was literally on the phone with the insurance adjuster while starting to get on the other phone FaceTime calls from my son's best friend. And I knew my son had just been dropped off by my wife to go mountain biking with that kid. And so I kind of literally, uh, hey, can I put you on pause, insurance adjuster? And I answer the FaceTime call. And it's this kid really upset. And I hear crying and screaming by my son in the background. So they're up on a trail two miles off the road, off the beaten path. And my son had flipped over the handlebars. Not even really sure what happened to him, but he was knocked unconscious and had broken his collarbone. And eventually, not a few minutes later, we had to call uh, 911 and paramedics to just find out where they were and be taken to emergency room. And uh, just in that crisis moment, 
where I'm telling this kid how to call 911 and figure out where you are and don't move my son. He might have some you know, brain issues, might have some neck issues. And I'm on the phone with the adjuster saying, yeah, I don't think you're covered. It's just, it, we get into those times in our lives. And the, uh, coming out of that, you start to wonder, how, how can we go through situations like that where we're able to think clearly, where we're able to think through our values, think through wisdom, think through common sense, think through a long-term perspective, that actually is an invitation that God gives to us, to you and I. Because the promise in this passage and the promise that you and I know is that the storm is going to come. But something happens to us, not just in those acute moments, not just in those crisis moments. Something happens to us just as we go through life. You might have a, a word for it. Uh, my word would be you get stressed out. You, you, you get these things, and we now know through neuroscience and, and smart psychologists that when we perceive that something is threatening, that we have a response to that threat. And that, that, that response is a stress response. And it's unique to you and it's unique to me. What you find stressful is typically a little bit different than what I do. You probably experience things in your work or in your family that you think, oh, it's no big deal, I can handle that. But I, if I were to sit in your chair, or sit in your life, I would think, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming and vice versa. What happens for us when we have this perceived threat, a stressor, uh, something that threatens, and it could be almost anything. It could, it could be a threat to your security. I, I, know, I have a friend that is always watching kind of 401k and, and, and bank account, and, and anytime there's a dip in the market, there's just a, that's a threat, and it's really stressful. He has a big stress response to that. It could be a threat or a danger of your time. Some people, have you ever noticed that? They just, if, if something's late or if there's a line or it didn't come on time, they just get so, they have this big response. It could be a stress to your safety. It could be a stress to your uh, managing your life the way you want it to be managed. Uh, hello, kids. <laughs> kids could be stressful. Uh, we have this stress response when we feel threatened. And what we now know from a kind of neuroscience standpoint is when we experience that threat, we have a response. And that response is to shut down, literally shut down parts of our brain and kick in others. So turn off a part of our brain that helps us to think clearly, to think wisely, to think through our values, to think about what's most important, to think through long-term consequences. And instead, we turn on and kind of double, triple time our survival response. And li quite literally, our bodies kind of get charged up and we're designed, we're predisposed to either fight our way through this or to run away from this, kind of like me from the snake. And in other words, a big reaction that sometimes then causes another problem, causes more crisis. Well, somehow in the midst of all that, Jesus is offering an invitation to us, an invitation to have the kind of inner life, the kind of personality you might call it, to, to have the kind of normal auto response to life that would be better than the natural state, than our natural response. 
in the Sermon on the Mount, in these chapters, Jesus, as he talks about how he sees life, goes through a series of pretty ordinary circumstances that people find themselves in. They find themselves in conflict and at odds with people. They find themselves having resources and money and figuring out what to do with it. They find themselves uh, interacting and bumping up against people that have different viewpoints of theirs. And Jesus keeps kind of illustrating different circumstances and situations that we all get into and then describing, describing uh, like a, an auto-response to those situations that are very different than probably yours or mine. He keeps describing that people that he would imagine doing life well would, when they get into conflicts with someone, they wouldn't fight their way through that conflict or run away from it, but actually lean towards that person to understand them, to have compassion towards them, to forgive them. When someone has resources, that they would be the kind of person who, when they have it, doesn't hoard them, hold on to them, but actually give them away sacrificially in a way that kind of doesn't make sense to our logical minds, to our own, to at least my operating system. He describes the kind of life that you and I could have if we learn to do life the way he would do life. That's the whole point of the summary of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever, whoever listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. It's like they're a house built on solid rock because the, the storm's going to come whether you expect it to or not, the floodwaters are going to rise, the winds are going to beat against it. But if you learn to have a life like this, you will not necessarily be unfazed. He doesn't promise that you'll be unfazed, but he promises you will continue to stand. And I believe that's the kind of life that you want. And that's the kind of life that I want. That when we go through the storms, we would have the wherewithal to think clearly we might even be able to lead others and influence others to think wisely as well. And maybe, just maybe, we'd become stronger through those storms. That's the kind of invitation you and I have. And there's two key parts of this entire message, this entire sermon that Jesus gives. The first is this. You are blessed. Jesus looks at the people that were sitting there as he's talking to people up on this hillside, on this mountain, the side of a mountain. He sees all these people. And he says, and, and, and he reads the scenario. He knows these people. He knows what, how they think and, and the lives that they've had. And he, he looks at a bunch of people that don't fit into the mold for what normally we would call blessed people. And in his day, people who were considered blessed were in control. People thought well of them. They had financial resources. They had savings. <laughs> they had a family that was intact. And the people that weren't were actually the people that were there. They were people that didn't fit in. They couldn't manage their lives effectively. They, uh, there were people that looked at them and thought, what? they don't have anything put together. They were people that were not fitting into the definition of blessed. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, now, a new message I want to give to you. You are blessed. You are blessed. That's the first part. That's the first message that you and I need to hear. What would change? What would change about your life? What would change about mine? 
if we allowed that true voice to percolate, to sift around and bounce around and kind of triangulate around inside of us until it became true, that you don't have to get more to be blessed. You don't have to be able to do more to be blessed. You don't have to get more people to think highly of you, to think well of you, to get blessed. Who you are right now, in your circumstances, in the choices that you've made, in what you have or don't have, what people think of you or don't think of you, you are blessed by God. And that, that isn't just kind of a, a sentimental notion or a, a hallmark idea or something maybe your grandma would say to you on a card, but that'd actually be a real, a real thing that changes how you look at yourself and how you look at the world. That is the first part of this message that Jesus gives. You are blessed. And secondly, you're invited. You're invited to be with him. Now, it used to be, if you wanted to be with God, you had to do a lot. You had to, again, have a lot, be in control a lot, be in charge a lot. You had to be able to present yourself well enough. And Jesus has flipped that. and said, no, no, you don't have to wait for anything. You don't have to do anything You just come and be with. And then the invitation is to learn to do life the way he would do life. It would be to learn to do your life, your life, with your responsibilities, your commitments, your desires, your relationships, your family, your job, your problems to solve. In your life, in your situation, in your circumstances, to learn to be with him in your life, to do your life the way he would do your life if he were in charge. That's the invitation. The invitation to be received by God and to start walking in our everyday, ordinary lives with him. And as we reflect on the stories that he tells us, as we meditate and think and ask questions and write and talk out loud, all these spiritual practices that we're invited to do, as we do that, that we would start seeing things differently. We would start seeing our finances differently. We would start seeing people differently. We would start seeing the world differently. We'd start thinking from the inside out because listening and following the teachings of Jesus isn't about finding the list of things to do or not do and then trying to figure out how to comply. It's about learning how to have an inner life that's just different so that when you have circumstances and scenarios and problems and storms and crises, that the way your operating system, your auto response would be a lot like his. Patient, wise, thoughtful, calm, full of peace, full of forgiveness, uh, less angst, less contempt, less fear, we'd be able to walk through anything and stand. That's my invitation and that's yours. And in this season that we in the church talk about calling Lent and the way moving towards Easter, this is an opportunity for you and I just to take a look in the mirror and try to be honest and reflective. How am I doing in life? How do I respond to the storms that I get into? What's my gut reaction when I feel wronged? What's my, what's my kind of natural response 
when I feel like I don't have enough or that I'm not enough or when I think that people might criticize me or look down on me or judge me? What's my, how do I think about that? What happens as I'm going to bed at night when I wake up in the morning? And what if there was a way to learn to be with Jesus more? To listen and, and reflect and chew on and meditate and try to practice his teachings until it became more and more like our own voice. I know that as a parent, I'm sure you do too if you have kids. When we have little kids, we, we are in, attentive, especially as they're learning to communicate. We're, we're, we're so attentive and engaged to understand what they're saying because they're so precious to us. We want to understand them. We want to know what they mean or what they're asking for. And you probably had this experience if you have kids where you have your two or three-year-olds and then you go and spend time, maybe it's a babysitter, maybe it's grandparents, and they can't understand your kid, but you can. And, and, and the, the grandparent is just so confused. What do you want? And you're like, they, she didn't say banana, she said milk. <laughs> we parents learn to decode, to understand and anticipate actually what our kids are saying and meaning. That's, that's a glimpse of what it's like to be attentive, the same attentiveness, the same curiosity, the same engagement that we would give God. We're not trying to uh, uh, fix or manage a religious life. We're trying to learn to, to kind of anticipate what God would say until it actually starts to become our own voice, our own response. And I don't have to think as much, what would God do if he were in this situation? We start to actually just kind of do what God would do if he was in the situation So know this as we wrap up. You are blessed. God looks at you and really likes what he sees. And actually he sees it all and still really likes what he sees. And as he looks at you, and he does so with affection and tenderness and fondness, the way you would maybe at one of your favorite special people or way you look at one of your kids, maybe you look at your dog (laughs) in the same way, that same sort of affection and fondness, he looks that way towards you. Allow that to become something that you believe. And respond to the invitation. Go and be with him. To learn to pick up these stories from the scriptures. And to be attentive and thoughtful, meditative, intentionally, on his words and on his life. Until it becomes more and more like, that's just us doing life together. Until it almost just seems like this is just the way you do life. You're thoughtful and you're kind and you're compassionate and you're forgiving and you're patient and you're loving. It just kind of happens. That's, that's the invitation for you and for me. So with that, let me close in prayer. Thank you, God, that you look at us and call us blessed. And thank you that you invite us to come and be with you, to learn to live life the way you would live life. And that life is better. I've tasted it. I've seen it. And I want more of it. I want more joy. I want more kindness, more patience, more forgiveness, more gentleness, more self-control, more compassion, more generosity. I want more of that. So help me, help us to respond, to say yes, and to join you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So go and be blessed. May God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you how much you're loved. And may God the Spirit help you be loving and patient and kind. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.